Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. When uh, you and I think about the people that we most respect in this world, the, the, the people that you and I want to be more like, what are some words or, or characteristics that we can attribute to those individuals? Probably words, right, like, like kind and loving and patient, and gentle, self-controlled, confident, peaceful, p- present. Now, now, conversely, when, when you think of some of the people that, well, you least respect, what what are the, some of the attributes that come to mind for, for those individuals, right? Probably angry or easily irritated, impatient, uh, bigoted, quick to speak, uh, abrasive. It, it was shortly after I would graduate from college um, that I would kind of have like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where uh, a good family friend would, would offer to, to take me on a, on a safari in Africa, kind of go on like my dream hunt. But it wasn't just going to be with me. Uh, it was me, my father, as well as one of my dad's really close friends, a, a close family friend, a guy by the name of Steve Andrews, uh, who is the founding pastor of Kensington Church, a church that, dare I say, has done more for the gospel in the state of Michigan than really any other church like like ever. And uh, I was kind of curious, like, kind of going into this time, like, is, is it going to be like the same guy that you see on the stage on a Sunday morning? And uh, I, I, as it would turn out, I thought I was going to get to spend more time with my dad on my, that trip, but I, I got to actually spend more time with, with, with Steve. And after that, about 10 days spent in the bush with Steve Andrews, I, I walked away from that week thinking, good grief, I want to be more like Steve. There's just something about this guy that's like, like that is, is who I want to, to become. The, the three words that I would uh, most readily use to describe Steve are, are gentle, present, and, and joyful. He, he's just like this gentle, jovial giant that just like makes you feel like you're the most important person in the world. He, he's present. He's never looking past you to like the person that might be more important to you. The next conversation around the corner, just completely and utterly present. And, and he's joyful. Uh, if you grew up going to church, you've, you've heard that verse before that the joy of the Lord is, is my strength. I'm like, that is Steve Andrews. Like he is, he is living into that. And as I returned from that trip and, and reflected on all that time that, that I got to spend with him, I, I wondered, where, where does that come from? I mean, how do you become like, like that? And fortunately, well, it, it didn't take a lot of time to be reminded like, oh, yeah, those would also be three really good words to describe Jesus. See, see, Steve, having spent such a copious amount of time sitting at the feet of Jesus, like truly following Jesus, not just a believer, but, but a follower, as he's gotten older, as, as he's matured, he just looks more and more and more like Jesus. And, and this morning, as we continue in this series titled Upside Down, we're, we're going to hone in on what I believe to be one of the most underrated and yet under-celebrated attributes of, of Jesus, one that Jesus so clearly modeled that, that special people like Steve have certainly caught on to, but for so many of us, it's this attribute that seems to go entirely unnoticed. Hold on to that thought. We're going to come right back to it here in, in just a moment. 
Uh, Today we're entering into part four of a nine-part series, and and given that our very short summer in Michigan has officially arrived, it's likely that most of you haven't been here for the entirety of the series, and that's okay, but be sure to catch yourself up at grumlaw.com slash messages, uh, or find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab those podcasts. But in this series, uh, we're talking about uh, eight very specific statements that Jesus makes right at the beginning of what is undeniably his most famous and also his longest recorded sermon, uh, dubbed the Sermon on on the Mount. Uh, These statements, they've come to be referred to as as the Beatitudes. Now, Beatitude is a word that literally none of us have ever used in a conversation, Uh, but we have learned in this series that this term, most literally translated, means blessedness. And it's so much more than, than happiness or, or favor. It's, it's a divine blessedness that you simply cannot find apart from God. It's underscored by God's grace in the life of, of the follower of Jesus, something reserved for those who are earnestly seeking God. And because there's this, this divine component, that is, it's a wink at, at God's original design, it's a glimpse of heaven, uh, these statements do sound a bit, well, far-fetched. Or, or as the title of the series would suggest, the, these statements are a bit upside down. But, but, but that's only when we view them from, from a worldly, from a present circumstances point of view. But, but in the kingdom of heaven, this is just, well, normal. It's, it's a return to God's original design before sin started wreaking havoc on, on you and, and all of the yous around you. So, so today we arrive at Jesus' third upside down statement where he promises us, because remember, these aren't mere words, but promises from our risen Savior who would die, then rise from the grave so that you and I might have the opportunity to get that right standing back with him. Jesus' third upside-down statement, it reads like this, Blessed are, are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, when we hear the word meek, especially in our American, you do you, get rich or die trying society, it usually doesn't carry a a particularly positive connotation. See, we tend to, and don't miss this, we tend to associate meekness with weakness. Meekness equals weakness. Meek actually becomes a synonymous term with with submissive or or passive or pushover or or weak. And and I find it, well, hard to believe that Jesus was indicating that, that pushovers would inherit the earth. Here's what I saw in such beautiful display during that week in Africa with, with my buddy Steve. What he learned from from Jesus himself, what what Jesus not only taught on, but more importantly modeled during his time on this earth. Meekness isn't isn't weakness. No, no, to be meek is to be gentle, to to be humble, compassionate, considerate. True meekness, I mean, the type of meekness that, that Jesus is speaking of, the type of meekness that Jesus modeled so well, it is something that each of us find to be oh so refreshing in others, but, but yet we rarely make a conscious effort to, to develop it in our own lives. Here's what I mean. Uh, because of what I do for a living, I, I very regularly have conversations with people who, who are making a very intentional effort to become more like Christ. That, that's encouraging as a pastor. In, in Romans, we're actually encouraged by Paul to not be conformed into the image of this world, but, but be conformed into the image of, of Jesus. We, as followers of Jesus, we're not mere believers, right? As followers of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that cannot be overstated, the power of the Holy Spirit is necessary and vital, we attempt to draw out more and more of those heavenly attributes, or as is often noted in Scripture, that the fruit of the Spirit. And simultaneously, we're trying to destroy or rid ourselves of our fleshly, our worldly, our sinful attributes. 
So, so, so you all, you, you'll often say things like, man, I, I'm just really making a conscious effort to be more patient. I tend to, for instance, at the end of a long day, be really short and impatient with my wife and with my kids, and, and I'm really working on that. Or, or, or I'm trying to put the needs of others ahead of my own. I mean, Jesus, he obviously modeled that really well. We've been learning about that in church. I, I, I get a greater sense of satisfaction out of my life when I operate this way. I'm increasingly aware of how selfish I am in almost every area of life, and, and I'm trying to be better in this area. So some of you will say, I'm trying to exercise greater self-control. I mean, at the end of the day, it's nothing for me to eat, for instance, an entire sleeve of Oreos, and it's time to start saying no to those impulses. I tend to buy just about any piece of clothing that I want, and I realize that, that I have so much excess. And so I'm starting to practice like giving stuff away and not buying anything unless I absolutely need it. Or, or, or I'm sick of being a slave to pornography, so I'm finally admitting this addiction to other people. I'm putting filters on, on all of my electronic devices. I am declaring war on this habit. You, you get the idea. But, but you want to know <laughs> what I've never heard? I mean, not even once. And, and I have these conversations like often, like weekly, like multiple times a week with, with people. I've never heard anyone say, I I'm really focused on being more gentle. I I've never heard anyone say that, which which I think is strange since, since you could make a very compelling argument that gentleness, compassion, considerate are, are some of the best words to describe Jesus. Now, here's my working theory on this, and, and I've already alluded to it. Uh, we live in a culture uh, that is marked by outrage. We, we've been preconditioned to be offended. We nitpick one another to death, that the loudest person in the room tends to win the day. So an attribute like boldness, and make no mistake about it, Jesus was definitely bold. I mean, he would stare down some of the most powerful people of his day and speak all kinds of bold truth. An attribute like boldness, it gets celebrated, it gets, it gets elevated. But, but, but in our culture of outrage, gentleness, it doesn't seem to really well fit, does it? I mean, after all, if you're gentle, if, if you're meek, how do you get a word in? If you're gentle, how, how do you make sure that everyone knows your opinion? How, how do you make sure that under, everyone understands where you're coming from? If you're gentle, how are you able to prove that you're right well, while simultaneously being, being meek? To which Jesus would probably reply, exactly. Have you ever noticed, especially in, in our culture, that, that being right, <laughs> it doesn't really matter? That, that the right person doesn't always emerge victorious? That, that being right rarely, if, if ever, matters more than the attitude or the posture of the individual who's delivering the facts? We see this, for instance, in the news all the time. Some smug doctor or host or expert or, or politician, that they'll get up there with a very matter-of-fact, know-it-all, so arrogant, it stinks attitude, and they will deliver the facts clear as day. I mean, there's no disputing it, there's no arguing it, but, but yet, nobody cares. I mean, he wraps up his little section, and, and anyone watching your conversation, the comment section, it's filled with, what a jerk. Who does this guy think he is? I wouldn't listen to that guy even if he was right. But let's make it a bit more personal. Let me talk to you parents for a moment. M most of the time, when you're getting into a bit of a tiff or an argument with your child, I mean, we, we can be honest about this, and kids sitting here watching right now today, don't get mad at me for saying this. Most of the time, parents... 
you're right. You, the parent, are, are right. You are correct. Th- th- that is, what you are saying is, is factual. What you are saying is proven. It, it is correct. It, it is right. But, but yet, <laughs> your child doesn't really seem to care. Your child doesn't appear to be receptive to, to all of your facts. I mean, come on, and some of you, you've experienced this firsthand. Isn't it true that you can write that person right out of your life? In literally months, and in some cases, even years later, you'll sit there and you'll like scratch your head and you'll wonder, it's like, oh my goodness, how did that go so poorly? I mean, after all, I was right. And, and you were. <laughs> you presented the stone-cold facts. But, but it didn't seem to matter, did it? See, unfortunately, a lot of people will go their entire lives without figuring out, or perhaps better stated, they refuse to put into practice this reality that that temperament trumps right every time. Temperament, posture, attitude, it trumps being right every time. Let, Let me pick on the Christians for just a moment. You maybe are watching right now, and you've scratched your head about that family member for years. I mean, you have presented ironclad argument after ironclad argument as to why they should become a Christian. I mean, you've even like regurgitated entire sermons on them at those family gatherings. And every time, you're sort of shocked when they, when they shrug their shoulders at the end of your like whole presentation, and, and they say something really profound like, okay, yeah, I don't know. And then they just kind of stare off into the distance, desperately hoping that there's going to be somebody else that's going to come and initiate a conversation with them. And you drive home ranting to your spouse about how hard-headed they are, even going so far as to wish that person ill will. Like, shoot, maybe they deserve what's coming to them. I mean, she is just like Pharaoh. But, but as it turns out, the reason they continue to, at least in your mind, reject the gospel it actually has nothing to do with the facts and a lot more to do with the fact that you're being a smug jack, you're being a smug jerk. Your arrogance, your belittling attitude, your pretension is palpable. So they've actually, think about this, they have pre-dismissed every word that you said before you even opened your mouth. Literally, they pre-decided on their way to the gathering where they knew that they were going to get cornered by you, that they were not going to take a word you said seriously. And before you say, oh my gosh, how could that person be so hard-headed? Come on, you do the exact same thing with the people in your life. The, the boss who always talks down to you. The, the coworker and all, all those passive-aggressive comments, but yet they expect you to listen when, when they have something really important to say. The, the parent who, who can't help themselves from giving you parenting advice. It's like, maybe you should have listened to this advice when you were raising me. But, but the problem only further aided by avenues like social media is that, well, in our society, everyone must be heard. You need to be known. Your, your position must be established. But, but friends, this is not the way of Jesus. Now, to be fair, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just kind of exploring and checking things out, you don't have to listen to this. I mean, go ahead and get sucked into the outrage machine that is our world. But, but here's what I'd tell you. You would still be wise to listen to Jesus' advice here, even if you never trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I mean, think about it just logically. Married couples, is there a person watching right now who wouldn't want their spouse to be more gentle? 
Is there a child watching right now that, that wouldn't want their mom or their dad to be more gentle? Is there an employee watching right now who wouldn't want their boss to be more gentle? See, it's one of those areas that, that contrary to what our world might model to us, it'll have exclusively positive benefits for you and, and all the people around you. So, so Christian or not, I, I think you'd be wise to lean in. See, when Jesus uses this word meek, again, best, best understood to our modern ears as, as gentleness, he's speaking of, of a refusal to take control by brute force or, or manipulation. Which, let's be honest, when we're desperately presenting someone with all the facts and, and ready to lose our minds when they don't listen to us, I mean, th- this is the end goal, right? We, we want control. We, we, we want to be right. But, but meekness, according to Jesus, according to the kingdom of heaven, is, is all about faith. And, and in turn, and don't miss this, it's all about letting go. Here's what I mean by that. It's about trusting God. So you as a follower of Jesus, you don't need to be in control because you recognize that your life is very much in in, in his hands. And God, being the all-knowing, sovereign God that he is, is very much in control. You understand that because Jesus already conquered sin and already conquered death, the battle has already been won. You trust God, who is very much in control, to win your battles rather than going to extremes to win the battle on, on your terms. So so here's the deal, because I do want to be fair and speak to both sides of this. If you don't think God knows, and I bring this up often, if you don't think God knows, if you don't think that God cares, if you don't think that there is a God out there who is in control, you should actually live your life like like a psychotic control freak attempting to manipulate and control every situation. I mean, after all, if you don't intervene, who will? But if you call yourself a Jesus follower, there's a freedom that, that comes along with, with following him. See, you submit yourself to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who, who has already conquered sin and death, who, who understands very much what, what you and I are going through. And, and in fact, would go out of his way over and over and over again to promise us that, that he sees everything, that, that, that he's got it. That, that, that he holds the whole world in his hands. We find this laced throughout the pages of Scripture. I'm going to give us just a couple of examples. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, we're reminded that the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. In Psalm 125, verse 2, it says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And notice here how he connects gentleness about not being anxious about anything. The Lord is near, he says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Gentleness becomes a fruit, a byproduct of letting go. Over and over and over again, Jesus reminds us, and remember, that this is something reserved as his followers. So if you're not following Jesus, it's kind of like good luck. But as his followers, you don't need to worry about being right. 
You don't need to worry about being in control. Jesus tells us like, hey, I got it. So, so let go. In a world where, where the strong and, and ambitious are lifted up, where we're encouraged to take what we want, where the rich and the dominant and the loudest win the day, Jesus models something completely upside down. He declares that the true inheritors of the earth are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That those who put their trust, that those who place their faith in Jesus, when we belong to the Lord rather than this world, and since death has already been defeated, because Jesus has already conquered this world, remember, we're on the winning side. We know how this all ends. We will receive the inheritance that is owed to us as his children. So we look forward with with eager anticipation to a life that's devoid of conflict, that's devoid of suffering and pain because of the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. Now, now church, can can I just acknowledge something right now? As I tie a bow on this, uh, meekness, gentleness, it's, it's hard. It takes tremendous courage to live like this, especially in 21st century America. It's almost a constant battle with ourselves to trust God's plan, to release the illusion that we actually control our own destinies. Being gentle, that is, for instance, biting our tongue and letting go of our pride and ego, extending compassion to those whom we think least deserve it, putting the needs of others ahead of our own, It is hard. It is others-focused, self-sacrificing work. It is hard to walk in such stark contrast to the world, to the people that we do life alongside. But Jesus promises us over and over and over again, it will be worth it. I want to end this morning with a passage of Scripture that is both a prayer and and a vision of our future as followers of Jesus. And as you'll see, that this passage is both painfully and refreshingly honest. We find it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. There the writer declares, Praise be to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Church, let us remind ourselves of that. Our God is alive. Death has already been defeated. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, that can never spoil, that can never fade. Think about that. God loving you so deeply has something waiting for you. God is in fact thinking about you. God delights in you. He is literally preparing a place for you in eternity that will never perish, that will never spoil, that will never fade. That this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, and Notice how the writer acknowledges this. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He's reminding us that it won't always be easy. But again, it will be worth it. 
In fact, if Jesus himself, our risen savior, faced trials, I mean, should we expect any different? We're being treated just like the world treated Jesus. We could actually rejoice in that. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Church, the reality is is that trials and difficulty grow our faith. Without them, our faith is never tested. If you only ever experienced in this life these mountaintop experiences, you wouldn't see a need for God. It's through the valleys, through the difficulties that we face on this earth that our faith and our trust in God grows. Though you may have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Church, let us not lose sight of where this is all leading. (laughs) We get to spend eternity with our risen king. See, as, as human beings, we get obsessive over, like, let's say the best case scenario, 100 or so years that we get to spend on this earth. And, and when you think of it, most of us pay almost no attention to the millions upon millions of years, eternity that, that comes after this. Let us, as a church, be a people with, with, with an eternal perspective. Death and evil have, have been defeated. Good <laughs> has already won. Church, we are on the winning team. And, and as such, let's, let's live our lives like, like our Savior did. In, in meekness, in, in gentleness. Let us live in the freedom that, that is found on, on the other side of releasing control. Trusting in our God who is very much in control. The, the God who, who has already won.